Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Eric Lopez with you on a stacked Thursday here. Um, sorry for getting this out a little bit late, but we had a lot of stuff going on, but we wanted to get it out to you, and we've got a lot to talk about in this show. Uh, we've got baseball, we've got softball getting into the rankings, or maybe not, um, which I know Eric is going to have a lot of fun with here, aren't you, Eric? <laughs> want to call it fun that's one way of looking okay. at it. <laughs> uh we've got uh we're gonna talk hoops jeremy brenner joins us to talk about women's basketball as well and uh, a big win for them over temple last night and also a very special guest which i'm really excited about phil dalhauser olympic gold medalist men's volley men's beach volleyball player ucf graduate uh is joining us uh on the show to talk about what's what's going to be basically his last ride to the Olympics. Uh, and they're starting with an exhibition match uh, this Friday down in uh, Lake Nona at a place called Boxy Park at 7.30 on Friday. So, um, so we talk about that and we get into that. There are lots of other things to talk about, but um, let's just remind you real quick, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com where we are, SB Nation's home, for UCF sports, all the UCF sports you can digest, including baseball and softball. We'll start with baseball here, and what a uh, weekend it was for the Knights as they go up to number nine Auburn and sweep them. They sweep the Tigers uh, at uh, in in Plainsman Park, and it was a, a really fantastic performance. Uh, all the way around, culminating on Sunday with a 12-2 blowout. Um, and of course, the Knights coming off of a victory over Bethune-Cookman uh, on Tuesday as well. Currently, all right, currently this team... Um, oh, there's the schedule. Okay, so uh, right now this team stands at 8-1, and 4-1 uh, obviously at home. They've won four in a row, and they're heading into a four-gamer with Cal State Northridge, Brian Murphy, your old stomping grounds. And uh, so I know you're excited about this weekend coming up, but before we get to that, let's, it's the Murph series, it's, baby. The yes. Murph series is here. Yes, it's the it's the Murph it's the Murph Bowl is what it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's let's just talk about this weekend. How significant was this for UCF baseball going forward? Like, are we gonna are we gonna be looking back at the series and saying, "Wow, this was this was really the most the key the, the biggest non conference series." Uh, of of the season well it it was even the biggest non-conference series of the season coming into the season I mean you could say that the two games that they have later on against Florida State is technically a series but really it's not it's just it's just two games this was the biggest chance they had to prove themselves in a, in a series outside of the AAC and I, I think just talking to Greg Lovelady uh, which I just got done with about 20 minutes ago uh he came he came out of that feeling that his team is further along now than he expected them to be. We have talked Jeffrey about how many new players are on this team. They have 18 new players. They have a bunch of pitchers returning from injury and for them to go in there and sweep Auburn convincingly. I mean the Friday night was a close game. Saturday was basically a, 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 an easy game till the ninth inning and then Sunday should have been a mercy rule kind of game. Uh, I think it showed Greg Lovelady that the talent he knows he has is meshing with a bunch of guys who are ready for the moment sooner than I thought he thinks he would be. They would be. I mean, he he even said today that this team is further along than he imagined they would be, uh, just because they're so inexperienced at this level. And for them to go up there and 
hand Auburn, you know, its first uh, home sweep in the 125 years of that program. And, and really, it's one of the best weekends in UCF baseball history. And I, I know he did not see that coming the way it did uh, last weekend. Yeah, credit to Eric DeSalvo because I think he pointed out that's the first time that Auburn was swept at home in a three-game weekend series by a non-conference opponent in program history. Is that right? That's correct. 125 years they've been playing baseball. Unbelievable. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to give a special shout to uh, to Jeff Hakinson, who I thought was I mean you could you could have picked your MVPs here, right? But I thought he was an MV, the, the real MVP of the series, especially um, in the second game because. You could feel it kind of teetering a little bit there late where Auburn had the bases loaded and nobody out. Uh, and they're down 7-3. to three. Uh, Love Lady pulls the hook on Zach Hunsicker um, and, uh, and and throws Hakinson in there. And I, and I know he, and you and I both know he didn't want to do that, right? I mean, he wanted to try and hang on to Hakinson. What does Hakinson do? Induces a pop, but with nobody out and the bases loaded, he induces a pop out and strikes out the last two batters and ends the game in, in, I, I guess, rather unceremonious fashion. And uh, uh, that for me was 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 like the wake up and smell the and smell the roses kind of moment. That wow, okay, this this pitching staff has the depth that Love Lady was talking to us about uh, in the preseason that uh, that he was looking for. Yeah, and you know what is funny about that Higgins appearance. You know, Love Lady told him that day that he he was he was up basically, and and th- th- we should preface this by saying that Hagenson threw 28 pitches on Friday night. He, he had a four out save uh, uh, to close down the game on Friday night, so he had already been taxed pretty heavily Friday. But he said he felt good Saturday. Uh, Love Lady said he was up, and he gave him another 16 pitches. Uh, you know, for a guy who pitched on back to back days only once last year, uh, I, I thought it was a. a, a Big thing for, the, for 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 Jeff and for Coach Lovelady to see. Um, and I think what's really working for Jeff, I mean, we talk about the whole season overall. He's faced 13 guys. He has struck out 10 of them. Only one of them have reached base. What's working for Jeffrey is he's obviously got a mid-90s fastball. It's ticking up to about 96. Um, he's always kind of had that. Maybe he's added a couple miles per hour this year, but he's had the power stuff. What he's implemented this year, or really refined, is there's a slider that he's been trying to get, been trying to make sharper uh, ever since he got here. And last year, that you know, both Love Lady and him will tell you that it was not a good slider. It was, you know, I think I think uh, I asked Jeff about that pitch today, and Jeff said it was really, really bad last year. And it was. It was kind of a loopy slurve. It didn't have as much hard break on it. This year, he's got that hard bite on it, and so he's mixing a power mid-90s fastball with a sharper mid-80s to low-80s slider and it's devastating uh in college baseball and you can see that in his first four and a half 4.1 innings so let's spin this forward to this coming weekend four games with cal state northridge the matadors uh they come in at seven and oh um they uh among their victories over uh, one of them was over washington state um, they're coming off of a weekend where they beat Grand Canyon twice and Fordham once, uh, and then they come into this. Uh, they come into this meeting with UCF and the Knights. By the way, in the rankings, finally, uh, they uh, uh, after after the sweep with Auburn, um, they are as high right now as 17th in 
collegiate baseball newspaper. Uh, they were at 19 in D1Baseball.com. Baseball America's got them at 21. Um, so th- th- let's let's look at this this uh, this series coming in right now. I mean, this is this is no slaps that they're playing against here in Cal State Northridge. Is that right? Well, it's it, they, I think everyone will tell you that Cal State Northridge is off, much like UCF, off to a better start than expected. I mean, this was a team that was predicted to finish seventh in the Big West. Um, has not had a lot of success in the last six years, uh, or really handful of years, and they start out seven and zero. And it's uh, both sides of the plate. They've been they've done really well, or pitching and hitting. They've done really well. But it's Dave Serrano. I think is an interesting story as their manager. Dave Serrano was, um, I mean, for those who grew up in California, he was fantastic college baseball, taking both UC Irvine and Cal State Fullerton to the College World Series back uh, in the early two thousands, mid two thousands. And then he goes off to Tennessee for, I believe, seven or eight years, and I don't think ever has a winning season and just really struggled in the SEC. And so he's come back now to, to California, and he's looking to take his third program to possibly Omaha. Um, it, it's just it, it's interesting how this is all panned out, and I believe it's, it's a four-game series between two teams that I think are already surpassing expectations, and that's, that's fun. What well, you uh, go ahead, well, uh, Brian. Uh, I mean, or, yeah. quick about this here. Uh, the thing that's kind of stand out to me this week: you were in Daytona on Tuesday when they took out UCF, took out uh, Bethune Cookman comfortably. Yeah. You know, you and I wondered, you know, right after the Auburn series, you get ranked on Monday. Everybody's like excited, and you're like, and we both were like thinking, boy, this has like a flat performance written all over it, right? Like an upset, up deal there going into Daytona, and. As you wrote about this for the Orlando Sentinel, I thought it was really fascinating. Greg Lovely thought the same thing and challenged his team, didn't he? Absolutely. He wanted those guys to, you know, he wanted those guys to feel good about being rewarded for with their national ranking, but he didn't want them to become complacent because of it. So he really challenged his guys before the Tuesday game against Bethune to go out there and make sure they show exactly why people are considering them a top 20 team in the nation. They've got to prove it day in, day out. That doesn't stop now either when they're facing CSUN. Um, and they did that. Obviously, the Tuesday night, they were fantastic. The pitching was was absolutely superb. Jalen Whitehead with really the best performance I've ever seen out of him. Five innings, eight Ks, two base runners. He had 50 pitches or 50 strikes as had pitches. He was outstanding. But they were all really good on the mound. The offense was fine. They really... They really got helped out by a bunch of uh, Bethune-Cookman errors. But uh, but it was a game in which, yeah, you kind of feared that maybe UCF would, would um, come back to earth and sort of, uh, you know, be not focused on the game in hand. You know, they come off this, this big weekend series where they beat a top-10 team. Now they got to go travel to, you know, this – let's be honest, it's a junk stadium. It's not a good stadium. Playing a very mediocre team, and they've got to bring that same intensity – and I, th- I thought they did that. And that's a sign of a team that is locked in right now. Yeah. Well, so, and, and I think it's going to be interesting going against CSUN. Dave Serrano is the first-year head coach. He's been a guy that's taken UC Irvine to the College World Series. He's taken Cal State Fullerton to the College World Series. He's now in his first year at Northridge. They haven't made postseason since 2002. Uh, and, you know, they're, it's a fascinating article. Kendall Rogers at D1 wrote a feature on Dave Serrano. When you talked to Lovelady in the media availability, was there any mention of how this series came about? Um, 
Because it is a unique, a very. I remember when the schedule came out, you were thrown off by it. I think like a lot of people were like, "Wow, that's a quirky little matchup," and it's a four-game series. Yeah, and it's something that I really want to know more about than what we already than what we heard. But apparently, there is a a website again. I don't know the name of it, but there's a website that coaches, college coaches, or I guess for just for baseball or maybe all sports around the nation, they congregate and basically send out and basically send out feelers to other schools about, hey, I've got this open date to fill, <laughs> and you have this open date to fill, and maybe we can work something out. And that's basically how sounds like Sounds like out. college baseball Tinder. <laughs> this, yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. It's basically Coach Lovelady reaching out to a bunch of teams. He saw, I think he said he saw seven or eight teams that, that had not scheduled an opponent for this weekend, and basically just reached out to all of them. And they came to an agreement with, with Cal State Northridge, and that's how this series came about. It's 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 fascinating, and yet I don't know enough about it to really know all the ins and outs. But it, it's just like it's it is literally like Love Lady sending like a bunch of you up texts to like eight <laughs> different programs. So is that is that just? I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Why can't he just hit you up, Murph? And maybe you know, could have you could have gone through the middle. You could have been the middleman here. I mean, you're, I would have, you're yeah, all yeah, yeah, both schools. I would have been the conduit. Uh, would have been the conduit versus Cal State Northridge. No, I'm excited. I mean, obviously, it's my. It, no one cares about this, but it's my. It's my undergrad school, UCF, versus my postgrad school at Cal State Northridge. You've got to be the only person in the country that could say this, right? That's gone to both schools. Like the odds that I mean, there's probably like one percent population at best that went to UCF and to Northridge, and you're going to be covering this series. It is the Murph series. I'm calling it. It's bigger than the freeway series. It's bigger than the subway series. I don't think you're going to be throwing out the first pitch, but I feel like it's like is donations. I feel like you should be. I, like, I feel like they should. I feel like you should be out there throwing the first pitch. Yeah. yeah Coach Love, if you're listening, pitch. let this happen, please. Please don't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you feel obligated. No, you have to go to the C North, the Northridge dugout at some point, and just you know wave that you're an alum. I mean, do you feel obligated? I mean, that's. You don't have any swag, do you? I don't. I don't. This is tremendous podcasting. I know. This is what <laughs> so we all came here for. All right. Well, look, keep a name. Here's a name to keep in mind as we get through this four-game series. Jason Newman. He's, he uh, missed a lot of last year. He's a two-way player. He's their best middle. Uh, he's their reigning player of the week. Uh, he is a redshirt senior. Great power. Uh, DH usually can play the infield as well. And he's also one of their main relievers out of the bullpen, Murph. One of those unique fun two-way players. Reminds me a little bit of DJ Hicks, for those that have followed the UCF program for a while. He was a two-time All-American at UCF earlier in the decade, in the 2010s. Uh, he's a good player, and here's the thing. We joke aside with you about this, but one thing is serious here is you do know a lot about West Coast baseball. You spend a lot of time in the Big West, and Dave Serrano is a big name out there, and he's going to try to turn around another Big West program. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just I think his there's there's a style of play out there that works, and he knows how to make it work out in the West Coast. Maybe it doesn't work in the SEC, but he's done it with Irvine and Fulton. Now he's trying to do it with Northridge. I thought another thing was interesting too, Eric. You mentioned the Kendall Rogers uh, article on D1 Baseball about Serrano, about how all of this really because it's a new staff. I mean, obviously there's a new staff at CSUN with Serrano, his two assistant coaches, and so once the old staff left. Northridge lost about 95% of its recruiting class, and they basically had to hustle about two, three months before the season to really cobble together not only prospects but a roster. So you have a lot of JUCO guys and transfer guys uh, who are filling this roster out, and it's worked so far. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. Yeah. 
Well, I think it'll it should be an interesting. I think that they're going to surprise some people. Just don't let the fact that they're called Cal State Northridge fool you because this this team is right, so, uh, right. a good this yeah, is a good Mer- program. All right, Murph. So I'm calling two of the four games in the series. Am I going to get ripped by Northridge fans if I if I don't call them CSUN? Do I have it? Does it have to be? Is it CSUN or can, or is there flexibility here? What what do I? Do? No, I, I, Cal State Northridge is there's really only two that I know of. It's Cal State Northridge and CSUN. CSUN is 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 it CSUN is not it's like UCF, but but calling them Cal State Northridge is not is not like calling UCF Central Florida. You know we we all get bent out of shape when that happens. <laughs> I think that's still very allowable. So no, you have some, you have some leeway. Okay. All right, as long as you say it as an alum, I I feel better. Thanks. Thanks. All right. In the meantime, uh, by the way, the series starts on uh, on uh, Friday. In the meantime, free admission, everybody. Free Can go admission, out yeah. Ballpark. Let's go. Uh, doubleheader on Saturday, too, so it's just like the uh, Siena series. In the meantime, Eric Lopez, there's UCF Softball, who also had quite the weekend. Um, went down to Tampa and started just, just raking on people, in particular, number 12, Tennessee. Uh, run ruled them twice, nineteen to two combined score in two games within twenty four. Actually, within yeah, within about twenty four hours of each other. Also swept uh, FIU. Um, they were supposed to play Wednesday night at Florida State, but that game got postponed due to weather. They're going to play that game this coming Wednesday at UCF. Uh, so that actually works out in UCF's favor. You were going to play at Florida State, and instead you get to play them. They're ranked number nine in the country. Instead, you get to play them at home. Um, however, uh, for some reason, the folks that, uh, that run the rankings in college softball did not think that that was impressive enough. Uh, UCF was, uh, tabbed 21st in Softball America. Um, however, the, the big, uh, poll, which is the, uh, National Fast Pitch, Co- Fast Pitch Coaches Association Top 25, did not have UCF ranked. Uh, they were 26 on the outside looking in, um, just uh, about uh, less than 30 points away from Texas Tech, who's at 25. And curiously, they put Tennessee in there at number 20, uh, which is a head-scratcher, um, to say the least. D1 Softball had uh, UCF in the rankings, and uh, did ESPN have them in there? No, ESPN did not have them. So two of the two of the four... Uh, e- ESPN doesn't have them. Uh, yeah, they do. They have the uh, ESPN USA Softball Collegiate Top 25. Uh, and right now... Oh, you the see- USA Softball poll. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's what it's Okay, so bottom line is two of the four major polls did not have UCF ranked after run-ruling the number 12 team in the country twice. Uh, all right, I'll just get out of the way and let you talk about that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, um... I enjoy the sport. I enjoy promoting the sport. I've enjoyed covering the sport. Uh, there is not a sport that's dumber in the entire college landscape than college softball. There, it's not run by. It's run by a bunch of imbeciles. Uh, they are clueless. They have no comprehension or common sense. Common sense you have to use in a lot of these sports, and softball doesn't apply to. Does not believe in that. Uh, this goes into the committee when you put a team like Florida. Ahead of Alabama, when Alabama swept Florida and won the SEC title like they did last year in the NCAA tournament, when they put Alabama as an eight seed, Florida as a five seed. Or we're the only sport that can put a Big Ten team that won 50-plus games and was ranked in the top five in the final poll 
They put them number eight in their initial unveiling, which is always my favorite. When the committee unveils their top 16 national seeds, they had Minnesota in the top 10. They win, they win out. This was in 2017. They win out. Then two weeks later, somehow magically they do not appear in the top 16. They have, they don't host, they go to Alabama and they were vote number one uh, going into the postseason. That's the stupidity that softball has been dealing with for years. And it just continues here where you just described a team that blows out another team 19 to two doesn't get ranked, but the team that goes, and you don't even mention the fact that Tennessee lost twice to South Florida as well. So not only did it get destroyed by UCF to put it in perspective, Tennessee has never, never been run ruled in back-to-back games by a non-SEC team. Tells you how rare well, that is. Well, let me let me let me play uh, devil's advocate. Is is you, you better not have common sense then if you want to do that. Okay. Is the but. is the reason why they were left out because Tennessee also got bombed by USF? Uh, no, because Tennessee stayed in. Like, I, like the, I, I think it's really, really simple. This is a political deal. Tennessee's a brand in college softball. It's really simple. This is, and this is not even a P5 situation, G5 thing at all, because Duke, for example, who's off to an amazing start, uh, is a Power 5 school. They have beaten Texas at Texas, who Tennessee couldn't even beat. They're not even ranked. So uh, it, this is just, hey, the Tennessee is a power brand. We're going to give them the benefit of doubt. And quite frankly, most of these coaches, first of all, this tells you the stupidity of our sport. Why do we need two coaches polls? Why do we need two coaches polls? Think about that. That's how idiotic this sport is when it comes to stuff like this. And it's just very disappointing because, see, this is why college baseball gets more credit and will have more credibility to the casual fan. It's hard to to kind of defend the sport and try to promote the sport to the casual person when stupidity like this happens because it's really hard to explain this stuff. Um, it's disappointing. It's not the end of the world. Me and Brian have spoken on many episodes about how polls don't matter. And that is true. At the end of the day, things will be playing out. But this is just an example in a sport where it's stupidity. College baseball, fortunately, has common sense. They have people that actually pay attention to their sport. Their coaches actually pay attention to what's going on on the field. They have media people that actually pay attention, like Kendall Rogers and Aaron Fitt. Uh, and, and so on. Baseball America. They have all these people that actually pay attention. The softball media, on the other hand, is more obsessed about doing articles about players that gave birth to a kid and then transferred from San Diego State to UCLA, or they're worried about coaches that are pregnant. That's what they write about. They don't write about what's actually going on on the field. That's the problem with the sport. And until that mindset changes, it's going to continue, unfortunately. Okay. All right. So let me let me put you let me put your straight jacket back on here and uh, and talk about UCF softball in general. All right. So what did we learn? More Brian Murphy covering college softball. <laughs> what what did what did we learn from that from this weekend? And what are we going to spin forward as they play LIU and Longwood this weekend? Well, what we've learned is this team is really good offensively, especially their freshmen, Jada Cody was a monster in Tampa. She became the first UCF player to win player of the week in the American Conference as a freshman. As a freshman. She's been weeks. she's been really good. She's been excellent. To put that in, yeah, to put that in perspective, she's only the third freshman overall at UCF to win a player of the week in a conference in the history of the program. Tiffany Lane did it in 2008 when UCF was in Conference USA, and then our friend Janae Shinhoster did it 
in the A-Sun her freshman year. Believe it or not, Stephanie Best did not win Player of the Week as a freshman. So that tells you how hard that is. Georgia Blair has hit six home runs in the first 15 games. Uh, fastest night to ever do that. Uh, Shannon Doherty, and she's not a freshman, but she's a newcomer. Uh, Shannon Doherty's a freshman hitting 500. Jules Wilson has power as a freshman. They have depth. They have uh, uh, really a lot of different ways to beat you offensively. It's the deepest offense that I can remember UCF ever having in the 14 seasons that I've covered UCF softball. Go add that with a deep pitching staff with Aaliyah uh, White, and then who's, by the way, her birthday's Thursday. Uh, you have G. Mancha, and you have Brianna Vasquez. This is a very deep and talented team, and Tennessee found that out the hard way. Uh, now, this is an important weekend because they need to take care of business against LIU and Longwood because after this weekend, as you mentioned, the Florida State game, they got washed out, and from what I understand, uh, the tarp was not put on the Joanne Graff Field until early uh, Wednesday, which was a problem because if you guys followed the forecast, you knew that it was going to rain pretty early all day on Wednesday. So the stadium took a pounding. The, 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 they couldn't get the field in good enough shape to play. So that's what happened. So as a result, they're going to play at UCF on Wednesday. If the Knights take care of business this weekend, they should be ranked in the top 25 in every poll. Every poll. They're, as you mentioned, they're ranked 21st in the Softball America, which is obviously a, real, a sister to Baseball America. And they're also <laughs> ranked 25th in D1 Softball, which is uh, also owned by D1 Baseball. Uh, but they need to win these three games because after this, you got Florida State on Wednesday, okay? Could be a potential top yeah. 25 match. Yeah, here, here comes Murderer's Row because they go out to this California. Is this yeah. is unbelievable, boys. They go to Florida. They play Florida State at home on Wednesday. They take a flight to California Thursday. They're going to play Michigan, who's in the top 15, on Friday, March 6th in Los Angeles. Then they're going to play the number one ranked defending national champion UCLA Bruins. I dare you to find anybody in the country that has a three-game stretch like that. Then, then they're going to play Cal State Fullerton, who's receiving votes and has been a dominant program in the Big West. There's another, again, Big West. They will also play Long Beach State on the road. They've got San Diego State. They got Minnesota, who's the World Series participant in the top 25. Then they visit Murph's old background. We've talked about the Murph series in baseball, where they're going to do a Murph off in Northridge <laughs> in softball. Murph, March 9th, UCF at Northridge. I don't know if you have any advice for Coach Paul Malone as far as the campus facilities. I'm sure Coach Ball Malone knows a little bit about it since she used to be an assistant there, by the way. By the way, there you go. You need to talk to Coach Ball Malone about that. You both have that tie-in with Northridge. I um, will say I have no advice other than please don't say Murph off ever again. That sounds bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, after Northridge, I don't know, a one-off. I mean, I don't know how you want to call they got, it. Then, they got Cal State Fullerton on Wednesday. They got Fullerton out on the road. Then they go to Old Miss. Old Miss. So point is – Please take care of business this weekend because we're it's going to get the level is going to go up a high level, especially if UCF is ranked in all the all the polls going into California. They'll have everybody's attention. Uh, but I will say this: the Tennessee sweep gives them a cushion. It's not the end. Of, it's not going to be the end all be all in the West Coast. They have a little room for prayer, uh, so they don't have to. You know, they can just win some of those games. I think they'll be fine. Uh, to your point about the Florida State thing. UCF was not going to be able to travel to Tallahassee because of the California trip. I think Florida State, Lonnie, give Lonnie Alameda great credit. She's class act. 
uh, personified, uh, knows that. Scheduling-wise, I don't think they would have been able to play later in the year, so they decided, you know what, let's go to Orlando. We'll play them. This is not the first time it's happened before. This has happened before with between these two programs. So uh, credit to them. Should be a lot of fun on Wednesday night with UCF and Florida State. But this they got to take care of business, guys, this weekend because we've defended them all week. Night Nation, i got to give them a salute. They've been on social media hammering the softball me- uh, pollsters and the, the poll sites and the fan and the softball media. I liked it with class. They've done it with class, which I'm even more proud of. Now it's up that we have to kind of back that up. All right, so we have that, and and this is and that Florida State game. By the way, to put that in all into perspective, the Florida State game set for Wednesday is their last home game for almost an entire month. We won't see them again on the home diamond until Wednesday, March twenty fifth, um, when they play UNF, and that's and that's a midweek in the middle of conference play because they have to go to Wichita State late in the month of March too. So uh, hopefully they can turn some heads. <clears throat> this weekend before they head out to uh, California, 13 and two record, nine and two at home, and have won eight in a row. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk basketball. Murph is going to break down UCF men's basketball's just uh, it, it, logic-defying last couple of games, uh, and then we will also have Jeremy Brenner talking about UCF women's basketball when we return. Stick around; we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and uh, Brian Murphy with you here. We can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. And follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. And if you follow Brian, you would know that uh, UCF men's basketball is now teetering at uh, 14 and 13 off of last night's... Um, well, the last two games have really, truly been bizarre. Uh, coming off of that that game against uh, Cincinnati, the double overtime 89-87 win where everyone was so excited about it, all of a sudden, two of the... <clears throat> followed up the best win of the season with two of the most disastrous losses of the season. First, Saturday home to Tulane. UCF had a four-point lead with 16 seconds to go and found a way to lose 75-74 in regulation, um, it, it just a, a complete collapse down the stretch, turnovers, uh, fouling on three-point shots, and it was just—I uh, I mean, it was—it it, was—you have to feel shame after that. It was—it was difficult to watch. And then uh, last night at UConn, UCF goes up to Hartford and then just gets kind of just completely outclassed by uh, by uh, UConn, eighty-one sixty-five. 17 for Colin Smith, 14 for Caesar De Jesus, but three uh, um, Huskies finished in double figures, and uh, and it was uh, an onslaught of just the shooting has just feels like it's just kind of left UCF a little bit here, especially in the second half. Um, what what's going on here, Brian? What happened to this team after that Cincinnati game? What happened? What happened? Part of it is just like the vagaries of sports, which no one wants to hear about. But it, a lot of it is just, you know, this team is kind of playing for good and for, for worse, kind of the way we all thought they would end up, you know, ninth in this conference. And there's been some some really high moments and some really dispiriting moments. I just didn't think they would come all clustered together within the span of six days. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody did. <laughs> 
No. I mean, that Cincinnati win, that's supposed to that's supposed to vault you. You know, that's that's the kind of win that vaults you onto a hot streak. That doesn't immediately lead into the the biggest collapse of the season. Nor does it lead into a road game where in the second half UCF just got, like you said, they got outclassed, they got outsmarted, they got outhustled. Um, you know, I, I wrote about it for the Black and Gold Banner this morning. Um, I thought it was a breakdown in their defense. But, but also, UConn ran better offensive sets. They ran really smart, heavy motion sets that UCF couldn't keep up with. Uh, they ran a lot of cutters and screens, and UCF didn't cover correctly. It led to a bunch of easy baskets, and UConn basically had their way with the Knights in that second half of that game. Um, there were some positives. You know, Dazon Ingram's back and healthy. He looked good. Uh, Cesar DeJesus was good for a, for a stretch. But um, this team's inconsistent. And we I think we we all knew that they were inconsistent, you know, heading into conference play through what we've seen the last two months. This is kind of this is kind of a microcosm of what we've seen, just an in- inconsistent team. But uh, but but it's just it's the way that they have been inconsistent these last three games, and especially the back-to-backs last week. Um, it was it's jarring. It's absolutely jarring. Well, I, I told uh, I told a couple people out there on Twitter. I'm like the the problem with this team is because of all the newcomers. They they have, I guess, what I call high amplitude, right? The highs are super high. And the lows are super low, and we saw the highest of the highs with UCon- uh, with with Cincy, and then we saw the lowest of the lows with Tulane and UConn. But what does this do for the confidence of the players going forward? Because you know we're coming down the stretch here, and obviously you know they're not positioning themselves for the postseason, at least as far as we know. Um, the last two games may have kind of put the nail in the coffin for that, but they have three games left. One of them's uh, at Tulsa, where they've never one ever uh tulsa is tied for first place um in the american with cincinnati and houston at 11 and 4 in the league and they got s and then they're home for sm that tulsa game is on saturday by the way and then wednesday they're home for smu and then they finish the season with uh, thank god ecu on sunday and ecu's at 5 and 11 although that's only a half game back in the in the standings like where where are their heads at right now heading into these last three games do you think well, first of all, you say thank God they play ECU. Like I don't know, they just lost to a team that's below ECU in the standings. Well, yeah. Well, I guess they so, they could be playing Houston, but you know they're not. So I guess maybe that's think, why. <laughs> you can't you can't take anything for granted. Um, I I know what this. I, I think this team knows what it can be good at, and you see flashes of it. Um, but I feel like these last few games, you know, and, and Johnny Dawkins will never admit this, but I think these last couple games, this team understands where it lacks in areas where other teams don't in this conference. And I know they want to be optimistic about the players they've got and the mixture of guys, but the fact is that their their good play cannot be sustained for long periods of time. The offense goes dormant way too much um, consistently. We saw that again last night when they had a seven-minute stretch uh, with, with, with no field goals. Um, and then defensively, they've been good this year. They really have been. I thought last night was one of the worst – defensive games they played this year but when when you're not scoring like they do like, when you're not when you're not scoring much you have very little room for error defensively and when both those teams when both those things fall down you get a result like you get last night I I, I do wonder you know how they come out of this road trip if they lose at Tulsa assuming they lose at Tulsa because again they're 0 10 at Tulsa all time um you know do they let that carry over to their final two games at home and into the conference tournament because, you know, talking to them after that Cincinnati game, there was a ton of optimism about 
how this team could really move forward. And I feel like all of that was just zapped away by the by the Tulane game where they blew a seven point lead with with 90 seconds left at home against the worst team in the conference. I don't, I, I want to see them at least if they can't you know do much in the tournament, try to show some fight here down the stretch so that they can move forward and and, and move uh, past some adversity. Um, and I because I fear right now that that Tulane game. Uh, was was a blow that it doesn't like they've recovered from yet, and I don't know if we'll see that they can. I just want to state for the record that if they go into Tulsa and win, I'm just going to throw up my hands and be like, I don't, I don't get this team ever. No, it would make sense, right? The, <laughs> AAC, the AAC basketball makes no sense on the men's side. Right. The AAC it's the same basketball thing for the entire sport this year. I mean, Duke. For yeah. What a like, mess! Oh my God, how can UCF blow a lead against Tulane? Well, Duke did the same thing at Wake Forest. They blew like what was it, a nine-point lead with a minute to go? I mean, this yeah, year the sport. They, they did it. They did a Duke against Maryland. Yeah, you know, like Wake Forest did a Duke to them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody's blown leads this year and things like that. Let me ask you this, Murph, because nobody, you know, it's not an excuse, but I mean, it is worth noting because uh, we haven't talked to you since. But you wouldn't. You were the one that really got Johnny Dawkins to announce, basically admit, announce that Dre Fuller's out for the year uh, when you had him the media availability before Cincinnati. We gave you credit. We called it. It was what it was. It was called a Murph bomb. It was a Murph bomb. Uh, Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, in all seriousness, though, they lose Fuller, who I think you would agree prior to his first, the injury, and then he you know, he came back, but he was not really the same guy. I thought it was a very valuable guy, two-way player, who can actually – had good ball handling skills can help you, you know, bring up the ball if needed be and can guard the best guy on the other team. You've had Dejon Ingram, who has been ill, missed the Cincinnati game, was limited, very limited, only played the first half in limited minutes against uh, Tulane, and was, again, uh, very limited in the uh, UConn game. Well, he played, he, played the, 20, he played 26 minutes against UConn. He actually looked healthy against UConn. Healthier, looked the best of the three, to your point. But, he, you know, it... it He's used – I mean, prior to the, all this, he was playing, what, 35, 30, 30? I mean, he was pretty much good for that. My question is, has nutrition just caught up with this team? This was a team that didn't have a lot of room for air to begin with if they were at full strength. And then you pluck away a, a park here and a pluck away there because some people were talking about him having trouble inbounding the basketball. And we just talked about two guys that arguably was two of their better ball handlers, especially Dazon. Um it it just seems like it's one of those things that this team that you know couldn't click, which is hard to do in basketball. You need that chemistry. It hasn't clicked, and there were some injuries and players that didn't play that maybe is affected in part where they're at now. Yeah, I, I think we're overthink. I, I think that's overthinking it a little bit. I think you know certainly for the Tulane game, if we want to just magnify that one game, yes, it would have been better to have Dazon, who's six foot five, six foot six taking the ball out of bounds those last two possessions and handling instead of, you know, a true freshman like Tony Johnson who is still having, a, you know, his typical ups and downs or Cesar Jesus who before last night really had a three-game stretch where he was kind of invisible. You'd rather have on there and that might have changed the game there. But having on for these, you know, two games, I, I don't, you know, they, they had him for UConn for most of the night uh, and he was really their best point guard. And it didn't draw them any closer. Uh, and they didn't need him to beat Cincinnati. So I don't know if that, that equals it out. I think we're overthinking it. I think you're right. I think we're overthinking it. Yeah, right. So I think we're overthinking it. So I'll just go with the Occam's razor of this team's not that good. 
they have pieces, especially with Tony Johnson and Darren Green. Dre Fuller is by far the most athletic wing on the team. If you can get those three to ensure next year as sophomores, then you bring back Colin Smith, hopefully. You bring back Brandon Mahan. You, you know, obviously would add, you know, a, maybe a transfer, a, an upperclassman transfer, uh, and then you could have a better cohesive unit. Right now, there are just too many disparate parts trying to fit in. A lot of these guys haven't played a whole lot together, and it's showing. And I just don't think this team is very good right now. Yeah, it's... I, it, it's it, it's a rebuild I, I, year, guys. It is a rebuild year. I, it's just it, it it hurts because you know you, you want to see these guys kind of end on a strong note, right? And maybe they still will. I mean, we we still have three games to go, and then we have the American tournament. And well, I, I would not game. rule anything out with this team down the stretch. It's just that man, that Tulane game was just a heartbreaker. Well, the Tulane game stings because in in, in, in reality, the UConn game. And Murphy, it's credit to you. You brought this up. I forget which episode it was, but we talked. I when I asked you a couple episodes ago, how many teams in the American right now you think can win the tournament? And yeah. we basically agreed on seven teams. And the team you highlighted was UConn. You really like UConn as a sleeper going to the tournament. I think you saw some of the reasons why you liked them in their performance on Wednesday. So let's give credit to UConn in that regard. But the Tulane game hurts because if you win the Tulane game. You're okay. You're still okay, in my opinion. You can try to steal the Tulsa game, and then you got two home games. Unfortunately, the Lane game really stings a little bit, and you know they're going to have to learn from that, though. That's part of the growing pains when you know the fans were clamoring for playing young kids and play the freshmen and all that. Yep. Well, you're going to have to deal the low. You're going to have to deal with the ups and downs of that. And you saw that last night so much. I mean, Tony Johnson yep. Yep. was so good against Cincinnati, and then was decent versus Tulane, but then they made some critical mistakes late. And then last night, he was just completely out of sorts. He was just erratic. He was moving too fast. He was just not in the game at all. And that's going to happen with true freshmen, especially true freshman point guards, who there's so much there's so much that d- depends on them for the offensive side. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to have to ride these things out. And I, all we can say again is, you know, hopefully they can be more competitive against Tulsa. I think it hurt that they were just so, so not competitive for the last 10 minutes of the UConn game. I mean, really, they got run out of the building there by the UConn's guards and Isaiah Whaley, and that they couldn't even keep that close, I think, really hurts too. And now they go to a place where they never won. You hope that they would at least be more competitive in that game and then come home and, and maybe try to win these last two home games, and maybe that gives them some confidence heading into the seat, heading into the conference tournament. But I, I don't know. I'm done trying to figure out this conference. It makes no sense every time. The only thing I do know is that I know nothing uh, and that what we think is going to happen never really does. So it's going to be a weird tournament in Fort Worth. I mean, I want to say that, you know, I I think Houston's the best team still, uh, but I would be shocked if they won it because we we know that what should happen rarely ever does in this conference this year. Yeah. So, well, as the rest of the conference rolls forward, we'll see. I, I don't know. I still feel like there's an even better moment waiting for this team going forward. Um, maybe it's in the conference tournament. We don't know, which will be in Fort Worth for the first time. So uh, follow Murph at Spokes underscore Murphy for all the latest uh, details on UCF men's basketball. Over to the women. <clears throat> they had a huge victory on Wednesday night uh, over uh, Temple, a team that beat them in Philadelphia in a very close game. Uh, in uh, earlier this earlier in the season, but this one pushed them up to seventeen and nine, uh, and uh, the Knights are now in a three-way tie for second 
uh, behind UConn in the conference, along with Cincinnati and South Florida. Cincinnati obviously has uh, uh, Cincinnati lost to uh, UConn. Gosh, what was the final score of that game? It was a 105-58 last night, and they have two yeah, games left. Yeah, it was a total blowout. And South Florida has one more game against UConn left on their schedule. That That's how they finish out the season. So uh, we brought in uh, Jeremy Brenner, our uh, our guy here at Black and Gold Banneret, following UCF women's basketball, to break down last night and the path forward for UCF women's basketball. Joining me now here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, Jeremy Brenner, covering UCF women's basketball as he has uh, tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday night, just after UCF's 67-64 victory over Temple. JB, what's up, man? Good, Jeff. Always good after a, after a nice win, for sure. Yeah, especially one like this. We were just talking about this right before we came on. This was UCF's first win this season in a game decided by five points or less. They have a couple wins by six, but this is their this is their first win in basically a one-possession game. Can you believe that? Yeah, I had to do a double-take when you asked me, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I think, you know, and wins like these at this time of the year is absolutely imperative because these kind of games are going to show up. You know, the American is so tight between two and six that any any of these games can go any way in the, in, in the tournament, which is coming up in two weeks now. So, uh, and especially where UCF is, where could be an at-large team, might not be an at-large team if you can't get these wins real close. So... The fact they got this win tonight in just a three-point game, really good sign for the night. So they avenged the loss earlier this season in Philadelphia, which was just one of those, which is just one of those games where UCF had a, actually had a shot to, I believe, tie it at the buzzer and didn't make it. But yeah. uh, okay, KK yeah. Wright had uh, 24, played all 40 minutes. Masani Kaba had nine and seven. So I got to correct myself there on, mm-hmm. and she also played the full 40. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Brittany Smith had nine. And... Brittany Smith had nine. Yes. And only about 14 or so minutes. She didn't play a whole lot. Right. Um, a lot of that had to do with she was in foul trouble early. And, you know, but Brittany's huge for the team. And uh, she's going to see more time down the stretch, I feel like. I think tonight was just one of her off nights. But she's going to be huge down the stretch. Tonight was – the big issue with tonight was inside. Temple out-rebounded UCF by about, I want to say, Oh, at least 10 rebounds. So that was the big problem for the night. But the good thing that the Knights were able to do, they were able to spread the offense a lot more. It wasn't just KK doing her thing. I think, what, five Knights had at least nine points or more. So the key to the Knights' win was the balanced offense, for sure. And the fact that they can get more players involved is huge, especially at this time of the year. Yeah, looking at the rebounding stats, I think that is a concern. Temple did out-rebound UCF 43-29. to um, including this is this is a little scary for me, and, and and I want to know what you think about this. Temple had 18 offensive rebounds. UCF had 19 defensive rebounds. So mm-hmm. a, an off so a defensive rebound percentage hovering around 50. percent They, they got to clean that up. Yeah, I mean, well, the fact that they had a lot of offensive rebounds, I think, came from the fact that they were also shooting from outside a lot. Um, but the good thing was the Knights were able to uh, combat it. You know, the, the defense is – look, the Knights, the reason why they are where they are is because they are a defensive team. Defense is their identity. I believe before the UConn game, in their five-game win streak they had, uh, all five of those games were held – uh, they held their opponent to under 50 points. So this team is definitely a defense team. But when you have nights like tonight where 
you know, Temple was hot from three early on, but the Knights were able to kind of, you know, Temple played very lax defense. They, they, they are more of an offensive team. So the Knights kind of had to play outside of their style a little bit tonight, but they were still able to get the win. And when you can get wins that where you're playing uh, not really your style, that's huge. That's huge, especially, I mean, especially this time of year. I know I've said that several times, but when you get to end of February, early March, that's crunch time, and they are delivering right now, which is great to see. Yeah, and it's good to see that the defense, because usually teams get tired on defense as the season wears on, but not in the case of UCF because, you know, look at the points off turnovers tonight, 19-5. to 5. UCF had the advantage on it, even though they were they, and it actually counteracted what Temple was able to do to them on second chance points. Temple outscored them by eight on the second chance points, but UCF beat them by fourteen in the uh, points off turnovers, and that ended up uh, more or less being the difference. All right, let's look at the standings right now. So, uh, in uh, in women's basketball. Um, it's like you you put UConn up there and then you just like cross them off. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, here's the situation: UCF UCF right now is tied for third with USF, who they have a game in, or they have a uh, a game in hand on, by the way, because they swept USF at nine yeah. and five in the league. Cincinnati's at nine and four, but UCF has a game in hand on them. And if I'm not mistaken. Cincinnati plays UConn. Yeah, they do. They play. Actually, they're, they're playing, playing UConn right tonight. That's right. So mm-hmm. and uh, so and, and I, I have yet to check the the score on that one. Cincinnati has. Well, UConn's going to be Cincinnati. Okay. And I believe I believe when it. Oh, it's. To, I'm checking the score right now. It, it's the finals, 105 to 58. <laughs> that's not good, Jeff. Not good. Not good for. Uh, but expected. Better. Right, so uh, so that's gonna put so that at the end of the night, okay, that's gonna put UCF firmly in first place because they they got the victory over Cincinnati um, just last week. So well, they, and they split they split the season series and they split so the season series. I'm not, I'm not sure if we have that tiebreaker. I'm not. I think we might not. Considering I remember when we were tied before we both played UConn mm-hmm. and Cincinnati was ahead on there. But I mean when you're Looking at two versus three, I mean, how much is that really of? I mean, I guess we're crossing off UConn, so I guess it's really one versus two. But uh, when it gets to Cincinnati and UConn, I mean, you're looking at hairs. Yeah, I think, well, the, I think the key is like you're looking at uh, you, you're, is that buy though if you can get to that number two spot, right? Yes. So. Yes, especially yeah. I mean, at this point, uh, you know, coach has talked about it in press conferences. You know, the teams between two and six are so evenly, you know, matched. They're very tight. It's it's really going to come down – it's not really going to come down to who has what number in front of them uh, at, when it, when they go to Connecticut. It's really going to come down to who executes. And I like where the Knights are at right now only because they are playing – they played – not only have they been winning lately, they've been playing tough opponents lately. They got that win over Cincinnati last week. Tonight against Temple, a big win, a team that they could very easily see in Connecticut two weeks from now. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got the win against SMU earlier. They, 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 and they've beaten USF twice this season. I think they have the upper hand, um, or they have some kind of advantage coming to uh, the conference tournament just because they've been battle-tested. They played UCLA earlier in the year, probably a team that's going to host uh, a first and second round uh, bracket uh, in, in March Madness. So, they, they've been battle-tested, and they, they've proven that they can hang tough with 
the best teams around. And I think that um, I really like where UCF is heading right now. Yeah, their RPI reflects that too, because right now they're at thirty. They're at thirty nine coming into tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. Well, um, as I'm looking at uh, where Temple is, well, Temple's at ninety, so that might take a hit, but. Uh, still, 39, it looks like they're right where you want to be. Obviously, Charlie Cream had them as one of their last four in. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's probably where they should probably where where they should stay. Of course, it's going to depend a lot on that conference uh, tournament. Coach Abe, what did she say after the game about the defensive effort tonight? Uh, you know, she was – she didn't speak too much about the defense for tonight um, because tonight wasn't – the story wasn't really the defense. It was more about – the balance of the offense and the fact that they didn't turn over the ball that much you know you said 19 to 5 in the in the points off turnovers well it's hard for the other team to get points off turnovers when you don't turn the ball over Mm -hmm. you get five turnovers altogether tonight no one had more than two at at most but that was that was the key it was it was more keeping you know care of that ball and i think that that's ultimately why ucf won this game they simply didn't give the ball to temple and that's why UCF is sitting out yeah. on the top tonight. Yeah, Diamond Battles coming off the bench as, as your as your second point guard there. She had the two turnovers, which, I mean, you, you'd expect more from a point guard on either starting or off the bench, but you're right, only five turnovers is yeah. pretty. You know, you see a lot that uh, Coach A plays Diamond and uh, Diamond and KK a lot, even though Diamond usually comes off the bench. But what you're seeing here is Diamond's actually the one taking up the ball. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact where they're trying to get uh, attention off of KK, and because look, everyone knows who KK Wright is. Everyone is very, you know, aware of how you know she's clearly the best player on the team. So if you can try to get some attention off of her and you know spread it around, that's why Diamond takes the ball. That's why Diamond's trying to be a creator uh, when she's on the floor. Masani Kava's getting involved a lot. She had a really strong, you know, point of time in the like the end of the third. She made like six of her nine points, like in a in like a three minute stretch in the third quarter. It was great. Um, but you're tr- what you're seeing from tonight's game is there's a lot more. Like if you can get like a lot of people involved, it's going to be very hard for a team to beat you because KK Wright is going to do what she did tonight. You know, 24 points tonight. She was also a very big part of why the team won the game. We haven't really yeah. talked a whole lot about KK, but uh, yeah, I mean that was huge tonight. I talked about KK about you know having that much you know how much pressure that takes off of her shoulders when uh, everyone is able to perform well offensively. And she said it was, you know, very huge. And it really helps her game because if she's playing with less pressure, then that allows her to kind of just do her thing. And I think she was over 50% shooting tonight, uh, 24 points. What more can you ask for from your, your star point guard? Yeah, I know. So they have two games left. They're at Memphis on Saturday. And then they're home on senior night on Monday at 7 against... Wichita State, mm-hmm. and that's going to be our cha- our last chance to see KK Wright um, uh, in uh, in in black and gold on the home floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, and not and obviously she's not the only as senior as, on the roster. As long as we make March Madness, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, I mean, we don't know. Also, if we're, maybe we'll host an, if they don't get into the NCAA's. You know, maybe they can host the NIT or whatnot. But you know, she uh, uh, KK Siani Martin. Um, and uh, and uh, and Destiny or no, excuse me, Grace Stant, who uh, who was a redshirt senior as well, who, did, who didn't see action because of injuries this year, but they're the ones who are going to be we're going to be celebrating on Monday. Obviously, they want to win these games, but what's the 
what's going to be the recipe here for these last two games as they get ready for the conference tournament? Yeah, so you mentioned Siani Martin. We saw a huge, um, you know, there was a, Siani Martin was huge tonight uh, for the team. You know, she and and Coach Abe kind of alluded it to in her press conference where seniors play really hard at this time of year because this might be the last chance they'll ever get to play any kind of competitive basketball again. Uh, and Siani Martin uh, is, you know, the team is counting on Siani Martin because Coach Abe was really stressing about how the team is still very young. Um, and they're one of the younger teams in the conference. So when you get into the conference tournament, you're going to be playing a lot of seniors and playing very hard. And that's something that Temple was able to do tonight. You know, at last stretch of the season, you're going to play harder you can get, the last chance you can get to kind of help your positioning in, in the standing. And Gianni Martin was huge tonight, and she's going to be huge down the stretch for the team because she's playing possibly her final minutes for her basketball career. So I think they're going to look for Gianni a lot. And especially KK, obviously, KK also being a senior. So expect those two to be involved in, obviously, Masani Kaba, although not a senior or a junior, she played all 40 minutes tonight. So Masani's going to play a lot of minutes. KK's going to play a lot of minutes. I would be very surprised if they came out for these last two games unless the score is absolutely, you know, out of hand. But uh, look for those two. Siani's also going to play a little bit more, I think, off the bench. And, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a huge balanced effort from here on out because – so many players on the team can offer so many different things. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was like a lot of new players. But I think what we've seen in this, you know, in this month of February, they're starting to figure it out. And I think they are at the point where they're playing their best basketball, which I think you really want to see at this point of the year. All right. Should be a lot of fun, too, to see as they come down the stretch. And obviously, you'll be there following them. Uh, I'll be there following them for the Monday night, for the, that Monday night game. And then. Uh, after that, it's off to uh, it's off to Connecticut for uh, for the conference tournament and see if they can uh, see if they can um, polish off their resume as best they can for the uh, NCAA's. Uh, Jeremy Brenner joining us here to talk UCF women's basketball. Jeremy, where can people find you? Find me on uh, Twitter, Jeremy Brenner, J E R E M Y C R E N E R. Uh, always a pleasure, Jeff. All right, don't forget to follow Jeremy at Jeremy Brenner on Twitter for the latest on UCF Women's Hoops. Coming up next, my interview with a sports legend, a UCF legend. It's not every day you get to uh, interview a guy who's won a, an Olympic gold medalist, especially a UCF grad who's won Olympic gold. Phil Dalhauser, professional pro beach volleyball player uh, and UCF graduate, joins us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here. And uh, joining us now is, uh, well, I think if you make a Mount Rushmore of athletes with UCF connections, this guy is on there. He's been uh, part of the AVP Pro Volleyball Tour since, uh, two, since the early 2000s. Won the gold medal in beach volleyball in the 2008 uh, Beijing Summer Games. Uh, he's been an Olympian three times, two-time world champion. Uh, he's won a gazillion medals on the world on the world volleyball tour. And uh, if all goes well, he'll be in his fourth Olympiad um, this year in Tokyo in 2020. Of course, I'm talking about beach volleyball legend Phil Dalhauser joining us here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. What's up, Phil? How are you? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. The reason why we're 
talking today is because uh, you guys are doing this uh, exhibition match down in Lake Noda, which we're... Uh, let's start by talking about that a little bit. You and... Um, uh, it, it, you and Nick Lucena are uh, are back at it again, and uh, tell us about this exhibition match that's going on down at Lake Nona between you and uh, and and uh, Team Italy. So um, yeah, um, we have a little exhibition match going on, as, as you said, um, against the Italians. They actually won silver in 2016 in Rio. Uh, they're in town because. Uh, We've been training against them for the last past two and a half weeks or so, um, which is great for us because we don't really have that many um, high-level uh, players to train against uh, in Central Florida. So uh, I figured why not uh, have an exhibition um, out here and um, show people in Central Florida what high-level volleyball looks like or high-level beach volleyball looks like. So the exhibition is going to be at, at Boxy Park down in Lake Nona this f- coming Friday, February 28th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, and the, uh, and uh, the team you're going to be playing against is going to be is Paolo Nicolai and Danielle Lupo uh, from Team Italy, who, like you said, are the silver medalists in 2012. So it should be, uh, it should be a lot of fun. It's going to be, uh, like you said, high-level volleyball um, locally here in Central Florida. That's going to be a blast. So... Let's hop in the let's hop in the wayback machine, um, okay. real quick. So um, it, it's it's no secret to anyone who listens to this podcast that you know that you are uh, that you are a UCF graduate, um, and it's kind of a unique uh, it, it's kind of a unique thing when we talk about you in, in a UCF context because you never actually played sports for a UCF athletics NCAA. Um, NCAA level team because but you were a student at UCF. So tell us the story of how Phil Dalhauser got to UCF and your years as a college student in Orlando. Okay. Um, I could go as far as back to high school because I was planning on going to UF actually and becoming a pharmacist. And um, my 12th grade economics teacher had a guest speaker and she said, pharmacists are going to be obsolete in 10 years. So that's, switched my plan <laughs> so I ended up going to uh, UCF with a couple of buddies and um, yeah luckily they had four uh, beautiful lit uh, volleyball court beach volleyball courts on campus and um, I probably spent literally and this is not a joke I probably spent more time there than I did in the classroom um, <laughs> in my four, four and a half years there um, and, and then when I graduated, uh, I didn't want to get a real job. So um, to, to avoid that, I decided to pursue uh, beach volleyball. When did you realize that, you know what, I could be a professional level beach volleyball player? Uh, I could tell you exactly the moment. It was um, in 2004. It was my second year on tour, on the ABP Pro Tour. Uh, in Hermosa Beach, California, we got a third place finish, uh, and it was the highest finish of any East Coast team ever in the history of the sport. And we beat uh, we beat Karch Karai in that tournament, um, and we beat the two Olympic teams that were heading to Athens uh, later that summer in that tournament as well. 
and there it kind of sunk in. I was like, oh, this could actually turn into something. Um, this whole beach volleyball thing. Yeah. What was the grind like over the years? You know, going from a relatively unknown, because like you said, you know, it, being from the East Coast, you 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 grew up in Central Florida. You went to, like you said, you went to Mainland High School in Daytona, then over to UCF. What was the grind like to get to that point, and then leading up to the point where you start, where, where you guys became, where you and Todd Rogers, when you paired up in two thousand six, were ready to, you know, be big on the world stage because you know like you said you're you're kind of at a disadvantage when you're playing in florida because everybody who's good is out in california so what was what was that like just the day in the day out grind well uh i mean everyone uh has to start somewhere right so i i actually think it, it was an advantage for me uh because when everyone was uh playing indoor uh collegiately I was playing beach for all those years and playing in a tournament just about every weekend in the summer. So I was kind of getting experience, um, learning how to win, uh, in tournaments, you know, when I was 20, 21, 22, whatever. And, and then when I turned 23 is when I kind of, uh, went after it. And really, um, I, everything kind of fell into place. Um, uh, there was another, professional team um on the east coast they lived in myrtle beach south carolina and they would invite um like up-and-comers on the east coast um to their house um one of them his parents were uh, well off and they owned the house on the beach in myrtle beach in myrtle and had a court right in the backyard so he offered us to live there rent free and uh, so we had like a training team right there, rent free, and we literally just drove up and down the East Coast playing in all these tournaments um, just about every weekend. And really, it was a way to fund uh, flights out to California to, to try to qualify on onto the AVP. And after a year of that, we did well enough to be in the main draw. So basically, we had enough points where we didn't have to qualify anymore um on, on the pro tour so that, um, so so that was like you know what malcolm gladwell says putting in your ten thousand hours right just going up exactly. and down the east coast wow um exactly and i think that's where a lot of people um nowadays think they could just get from point a to point z right away but you got to go through the whole alphabet to get to point Z, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you, you do have to put your 10,000 hours in, and it just doesn't happen overnight. In 2008, you go to the Olympics in Beijing with Todd Rogers. You guys win the gold. Um, I mean, what a moment. I, I mean, I, I'm a, all the folks who listen to the show knows, I know I'm a huge Olympic nerd. I watch every event. Yeah. I have the Olympics on whenever they're happening. I'll I'll watch ten hours of rowing in a row. I don't care if it's the Olympics. Even I'm watching. Equestrian? equestrian, equestrian. I'm in on it, especially. I mean, and and a good uh, and, and a good culture of equestrian down here in Central Florida too. Is you, uh, you and but when you win the gold medal with Todd, how did that change your career in volleyball? Uh, well, I kind of compare it to uh, a quarterback winning the Super Bowl. Um, you know, you're not considered elite until uh, you win a Super Bowl. 
basically, right? So Dan Marino, you know, one of the best passers ever, but never won the big one. So he's not put on that Mount Rushmore, you know. Uh, so that kind of defines a, a beach volleyball player's career if, if you win uh, the big one. And that's for us is, is the Olympics and also uh, the world champs, which is every odd year. So every, every other year, basically. Yeah. In the, uh, you continued to play all the way through, you know, you went to the Olympics in 2012, didn't win the gold there, but still, I mean, even making it is, is such a remarkable achievement. And then in 2016 as well. And then, you know, I, I was reading that, you, you know, you, you kind of were on the fence about retirement a little bit. And, uh, and, and uh, Todd talked about it a little bit and, and Nick, your current partner, Nick Lucena talked about it, but something pulled you back and and you decided you know i'm not quite done yet what was it that pulled you back into volleyball when you were thinking about hanging it up well um after the, what was that, the 2018 season mm-hmm. i believe yes um man I, I was just gone so much um i was missing my family i was probably gone four or five months of the year, um, you know, traveling. And, and now that I lived in, in Orlando, I kind of had to uh, train to travel. And then anytime I was home, we had a house full of people with my, my coach and um, Nick um, staying in the house. So it kind of really wore on me. And um, and I, at that point, I'd already had 15 good years on tour, 16, whatever it is. And, um, but, you know, uh, I kind of did some self searching. I was reading like spiritual books or whatever, like self help books. I, I don't know what to call them. And a lot of them talked about what's your purpose in life. And, and one day I was kind of just talking to myself in the, um, in the kitchen. And, uh, I was like, what is my purpose in life? And, um, and my wife goes, you're an idiot if you don't think beach volleyball is your purpose in life. And uh, and it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Like, why? How? How has that? I've never thought of that. And um, so then I kind of, it completely changed my mindset. And um, I figured, you know, go for another another uh, Olympics. And uh, then I I. I'd be happy with uh, walking away from the sport, no matter what, if we made it or um, it, uh, if we didn't. Wow. So right now, you guys are in the FIVB uh, rankings. You and Nick Lucena are right now, I think, number nine in the FIVB world rankings. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's the top two ranked American teams that qualify for the Olympics um, heading into the summer. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And top 16 in the world. Top 16 in the world. So how many, how many opportunities, what do you guys have to do from now until the qualifying deadline in order to just ensure that you have one of those two spots? Cause the grind is going to step up again as we get ready for, uh, as we get ready for the Olympics. Yep, yep. Um, we're actually in a bit of a dogfight because uh, two other American teams are um, up there as well. Uh, we're actually, in Olympic ranking, we're actually third among Americans. But um, how it works is they take your 12 best finishes 
from 2019 and half of 2020. And um, we're a little, we're, we're a little bit of, we're about 900 points away from the second place American team, but they have 12 finishes and we have 10 finishes. And basically if we finish, um, say we get, take two ninths, then we'll, we would pass them. So that just kind of shows how, um, how far we are behind them. So ninth is for us is kind of an okay tournament. Um, like not great, not terrible, I guess. I see. Kind of put in perspective. I'm looking at your schedule on your site, phildalhauser.com. You've got nine international beach tournaments coming up, including two here in the United States, Huntington Beach, of course, which is the big one every every year, and then uh, and then Austin coming up. You also got New York City on June in early June, Seattle in in late June. So, um yeah, I mean it's it feels like it's going it, to it, the 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 travel that you guys are doing now because it's an international tour is so much more than than it was back when it was just you know in the united states right in the old avp oh yeah so there's two professional tour tours basically there's the avp that's just domestic only uh american players can play Mm -hmm. or players with green cards and then there's the world tour which is the fivb and the way you qualify on for the olympics is only strictly through the world tour uh, can you get points? I see. So actually, in in about um, uh, nine days, we leave for uh, Doha, Qatar, um, which is actually kind of a nice place if um, anyone ever in that area of the world um, wants to visit it. But from there, we go to Australia to play a tournament, and then from Australia, we go to Cancun. Um, so it's going to be a pretty brutal three-week trip. Um, but it's kind of a last for all, so why not, you know, um, throw them all in there, all the chips in there, and mm-hmm. see what happens. Tell me about uh, the sport, the, the state of the sport of beach volleyball right now. You know, it's there's a little bit of a resurgence. I mean, I remember as a kid watching, you know, uh, watching Karch Karai and the first time beach yeah. volleyball was in the Olympics, I think it was 96 in Atlanta and, yeah. and it became a huge hit. And, and, you know, when you were in Beijing and then all the way through beach volleyballs on TV all the time on the major, uh, on the major network broadcast on NBC, you know, they don't, they don't stick it on USA network or CNBC. You guys are quite often live, uh, you know, whenever, wherever the time zones obviously permit. So, from where you stand over the past, you know, fifteen to twenty years, as as someone who's participated at the very top level of sport, what's the state of the game right now? Well, um, um, beach volleyball is really close to turning into to like an Olympic sport, um, um, because, like a for example, like a swimming or, or a track and field where it's just brought to light during, uh, you know, every four years. Um, but uh, the AVP now has a uh, streaming deal with Amazon Prime, so every uh, tournament in the, in the U.S. is streamed, four courts are streamed on Amazon Prime, uh, 
so if you have Amazon Prime, which just about everybody does now, um, you can watch um, whenever tournaments um, are going on. Um, so that's helping um, the sport a lot domestically. And every once in a while, we'll sit, like you mentioned, we're still on NBC. Um, the big ones usually Manhattan Beach, uh, New York City, um, and Chicago are usually the three that are on uh, NBC. Uh, but internationally, however, um, we used to play well, like in the late 2000s, like 07, 08, 09, we had like 10, 11 Grand Slams, um, uh, which was great. Like, um, you know, it's similar to tennis or golf, whatever, but we had like 10. Right. Uh, now, um, we're lucky if we have three, uh, maybe four here and there. So internationally, it, it's not doing so great. Um, but the level of play is higher than it's ever been before, in my opinion. So it's, it's a bit of a shame um, because the, the level of play is so high right now. So many good teams. It's just not Brazil and US, USA battling it out anymore. It's uh, the best team in the world right now is actually Norwegian kids, believe it or not. The uh, second best team in the world is um, a Russian team. So Europe is caught up to the U.S. and Brazil. Uh, and um, yeah, it's uh, every match now is a battle on the world tour. Here in the U.S., you know, beach volleyball has taken off in college, too. You know, we've seen it really emerge yeah. as a... As a as a big spring sport, um, you know, yeah. and, and I know that I know that UCF has been trying to, you know, for a few years. I, I know Todd Dagenet has been trying to make beach volleyball happen uh, at UCF, but um, it, it seems like it, it seems like it's it just hasn't quite gotten the impetus going. What do you think about you know the future of beach volleyball as an NCAA sport? I mean, it's great uh, for the women's side. Um, uh, especially once they uh, come out of like come up, come out of college, because now USA Volleyball kind of has this great feeder program um, for beach volleyball, and, and they, these kids come out at 23 and they're basically veterans, uh, or 22, 23, and they're basically veterans of beach volleyball, um, and they could just jump out onto the world tour and be um, um, productive players. Um, but yeah, like it, uh, it's great for the sport. Um, it, indoor has dominated, um, you know, the sport for a long time, but now there's a little bit of a shift going on. More and more kids are going out to the beach. Hopefully we could get a, a men's program, men's programs going around, uh, in college, um, which would be ideal, but it's just, the the title nine is kind of tricky, you know, with, uh, um, getting more men's sports in, in college. Yeah, um, I, I know. I would love to see <clears throat> both men's volleyball and and beach volleyball at UCF. I think it would be a great thing for the athletic, yeah, athletic awesome. program, and it would be fun fun to watch. And we'll see a lot, probably see a lot more of you coming out to matches too, huh? <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so, uh, so let me ask you about uh, Tokyo, or real quick. So, a uh, little bit of news this week with. Um, with, with some of the executives that, that are running the Olympics and the scare about the uh, coronavirus that's out in China. Um, what have, you know, obviously I know that it's kind of, like, uh, there's a lot of wait and see here, but 
What have you been told about the preparations for Tokyo with regard to the spread of the virus and 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 how do you kind of, how do you feel about all that that's going on right now? Well, it it seems like every, something pops up every uh, Olympic year. Um, in 08 Beijing, it was the pollution. Everyone mm-hmm. was worried about pollution. Uh, in London, um, it was terrorist attacks or whatever. Like, uh, and then in Rio, the Zika virus. Remember the Zika virus? Yeah. Um, we we actually had um, two tournaments in China um, that were on the schedule that actually just recently gotten uh, canceled, which were Olympic qualification events as well. Um, so um, I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. I, I can't imagine Tokyo letting um, the Olympics slip through their hands when they put so much money and effort and you know they're building uh, they built like uh, the village from um, um, from nothing basically you know so I, I can't imagine them canceling it. Or I heard that that London is ready; they'd be ready to run uh, run it again, which mm-hmm. um, I'd be cool with because London is great. Yeah, London was pretty cool, and probably one of the best run. Let, uh, let me uh, let me ask you this too: out of, out of the um, the three Olympics you've been to, London, uh, Beijing, and Rio, which one was your favorite place to be at? Oh, London for sure. Yeah, why is London that? Uh, well. <clears throat> One, they speak you know, speak the language, so it made it easy to communicate. Um, two, you could just get around so easily on the subway um, or the uh, the tube or whatever it's called. Yeah, the tube. Um, <laughs> and um, it it just they had it. Um, everything was well organized, and um, and London's a, a great city. Um, beautiful. Um, but with Beijing, um, it was Beijing was, was super spread out, mm-hmm. and um, it took, uh, and it's kind of the same with Rio too. It just took forever to get anywhere, and, and um, uh, so yeah, it's, yeah, it, I, it's a no-brainer for me. Even though I won gold in, in Beijing, London was way better. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough getting around some of these cities, especially with like Rio. It felt like everything was so cramped because it's up against, it's in between the mountains and the sea, yeah. and it's just yeah. it, it's everything is really cramped. Like you, you think one day maybe Orlando could host the Olympics? Uh, uh, I mean, it can. Orlando can ha- handle a bunch of tourists. We do every every year. Yeah. So I don't see why not. Um, um, we definitely have enough. Uh, hotels and, and we, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the um, uh, I'm blanking on the stadium's name downtown. I don't know if that's the big old Cit- stadium. Yeah, the Camping World Stadium, the old Citrus Bowl. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's exactly. not it's not big enough to do track and field. I feel like that they would have to do something with track and field and swimming too, because it because I don't think we have a large enough you know a swimming yeah. swimming and diving venue at least here. And I mean, unless people wanted to go up to Gainesville or something, but. You know, you have Wide World of Sports and UCF and and the soccer stadium and the arena and all and the arena and everything. There's certainly a possibility that I don't know, maybe maybe one day. All right, um, last little bit for you. I just want to go over the exhibition one more time for everyone who's listening. It's at Boxy Park in uh, in Lake Nona. 
Uh, it's Friday at 7.30, exhibition match. Uh, it's you and uh, and Nick Lucena uh, against, uh, against Paolo Nicolai and Danielle Lupo from uh, Italy. And it should be a real good match. I know it's tagged. I, I know you said, hey, it's an exhibition, but... You know, it's 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 not a preseason it's not a preseason NFL game for sure. You guys you guys bring it in these ma- exhibition matches, right? Oh uh, yeah, for sure. No no one wants to lose, um, and and we're really like a week and a half out before we play on our first event. So uh, this is like the first kind of um, real match we would play. Um, so it's kind of a nice little warm up and. Uh, I wanted to say that it's free entry, um, so um, you just come and I, I we I really don't know we don't know how many people are going to come. Um, there's going to be seats for about 500 people apparently, um, and if more people come, then it might be just be standing room only. So I would say uh, get it, get there early. If, um, you know, grab some food there. There's there's a couple of um, little like stationary food trucks. You grab some food and and uh, adult beverage if you if you like, and uh, post up in the seat and um, and enjoy the show. I guess. Yeah, it might it's it should be a lot of fun. Might be a little chilly on Friday night too, though. I'm seeing the the forecast is in the yeah. 60s during the day. So, but uh, <clears throat> nonetheless, you guys are uh, you guys are ready to bring it for uh, for this tour, and then. How can uh, how can people follow you and Nick as you begin your journey toward Tokyo for 2020? Um, I guess the most um, I'm not exactly um, a social media person, but uh, good I for you. Of, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm forced to, um, but I'm most active on Instagram, so that's at Phil Dahlhauser. Um, I go into spurts. I'll go, you know, for in one week I'll post three or four times, and then I'll go like a month without posting. So, but it, it's a little easier when I'm playing events, and you know, I can post what um, how the day went, and you know, we went two and zero or whatever, and post a couple videos and whatever. Yeah, and the photos are awesome because you guys have amazing photographers that come to these events too, which is pretty cool. So yeah, yeah, and we yeah, it's nice that we have access to them. All right, Phil Dalhauser from uh, a three-time Olympian, one-time gold medalist, two-time world champion, one of the greats of volleyball to ever come from the United States. It's a privilege to have you on the show. Uh, and again, well, I'll be seeing you uh, down at Boxy Park on Friday uh, at seven thirty. And then, uh, and then we'll all be following you here on Black and Gold Banneret as you and uh, Nick begin the begin the journey toward Tokyo. So, uh, best of luck uh, the rest of the way. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, and uh, I'll see you on Friday night. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, stick around. We'll be right back just after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez with you. Uh, a little no, uh, news to pass along uh, for you today. The uh, UCF football game against Georgia Tech, uh, which was scheduled to be Saturday, September 19th, has been moved back, or moved up, rather, one day. It will be Friday, September 18th, likely in primetime at Bobby Dodd Stadium. This is good news for UCF because... 
they did previously have just four days in between this game in Atlanta at Georgia Tech and then their conference opener at ECU on Thursday night, September 24th. Now they get an extra day uh, for this. Kind of a bummer for some of the fans out there who've been complaining about it on Twitter relentlessly, but um, I'm pretty sure that the I'm pretty sure that the coaching staff and the players are like, all right, we get an extra day, that's okay. And hey, we'll be on national TV. So there's that. Um, are we happy about this, gentlemen? I am, just from a pure <laughs> convenience standpoint of where, you know, I thought I was going to have to stay in Georgia or stay in Atlanta for a couple days before just going straight over to, to Greenville. Now I might actually have some time to come home before leaving for Greenville. I want to, I want to, you know, just repeat that this is all about me. Everything is about <laughs> should, me. As well as should. Ah, the only thing that's, I mean, you really, media types. <laughs> well, the, look, this was such an overblown thing. People like Jeff on media made a big deal out of it and all that. Oh, my God, we're going to play a short week. Oh, no, there you go. Now you're happy now. Move on. Good. Yeah, I am happy. <laughs> Thank you. So what if we screw the fans that were planning on traveling up to Atlanta for the Saturday game? Whatever. I don't think as many fans are planning on going up there. It would have been a noon kick. I mean. You're right. Besides, you got to save your money for the second trip later in the year when we go and defeat. We're playing the New Year's Six. Hey, now we're talking with our uh, new staff, Murph, who Murph got to talk to, by the way, on thir- uh, Wednesday, didn't you, Murph? Yes, I did. We got to talk to uh, new co-offensive coordinator Alex Golesh, comes from Iowa State. Uh, who really, I think he's really in here for his recruiting chops. He's outstanding as a recruiter. Then we had uh, Joey Halsley, who was here last year as a uh, assistant has been promoted to Q- QB's coach. And, the Admiral, and Joey Tucker. Halsley. Joey Halsley, yes. And then Anthony Tucker, who is still the running backs coach, but will split co-OC duties with uh, Golesh. So we talked to them uh, on Wednesday. I, I, I'll, I'll try to get something up about Golesh this weekend between baseball games because I think that's uh, he, he was pretty interesting. And I want to delve more into to Halsey's. What's great about Halsley is that he – he played under Hypo at Oklahoma and then coached alongside him at all his other stops. So I thought that was it's a tremendous relationship, but I want to delve further into that with him before I write anything about it. But I'll write out something about Golesh. And then, uh, man, tomorrow morning, we're out here at 8.40. Friday morning, we'll be out here, I think, at quarter to nine to get some, some dynamite B-roll of spring practice workouts. Yeah. Everybody out there doing calisthenics. Everybody's oh, excited man. about this. Let me tell you. I mean, it, I, I, Murph, if it, you want, uh, Murph, if you want, I can assist you and go with you so we can break down how they look in that first 15 minutes compared to last year in the first 15 minutes in spring. I know it's that's really the most important thing this week. I mean, I mean, my expectations are high, and I, yeah. I think my my baseline, my floor is it better be the best athletic movements I've seen from any human beings in the history of mankind. Other than that, it's a failure. <laughs> I think that's fair. That's right. Yeah. Um, so am I the only one that thinks Golesh has a little Sean McVay look-alike there going? Or no? Sean McVay? No. No, he no, has no. a uh, – you know what he looks like? Kevin Euclid. if Kevin Euclid shaved down his beard a little bit because he's got this he's – got he's got a really big jawline. McVeigh doesn't have it. McVeigh has a very tiny face. Okay. Uh, but but okay. if you look at Golesh and look look at like Kevin Euclid in the prime of his career, but like take down the beard, that's who that looks like. Yeah. Well, we got uh, so all right. Well, I mean, do you okay. like that? I'll take it. Yeah. Do you like that? I'll accept that. I'll accept that. It's 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 
It's right up there with uh, you and Lars Ulrich, I must say. Oh, don't. <laughs> don't. Don't. Um, all right. Uh, the uh, men's tennis, uh, they will play FAU on Saturday back home after two wins. Uh, they had quite a bit of time off, 20 days in between two wins against uh, Virginia and Illinois. Or rather, their last win was was at Illinois in uh, in Chicago. Um, and they're back to action Saturday and then Sunday, FAU and Stetson, respectively, back at the uh, USTA uh, Tennis Complex. Uh, uh, what, what else do we have here? Oh, women's tennis is also back in action here. They're on the road, however. They play Friday at, uh, or, or rather, it's on the road against number 29, Old Dominion. Um, but they're playing in New Orleans, and then on Saturday they play at Tulane. So that's their first uh, match in the American this year. So we'll be keeping an eye on that as their season continues. Um, just want to give an update on the uh, golf teams here real quick. The uh, <clears throat> women's golf team plays next weekend, Saturday, uh, in Gainesville at the Lady Gator. And the men's golf team is uh, after they uh, after they finish in 14th at the Gator Invitational. Uh, they're coming up this coming weekend, Sunday through Tuesday, at the Southern Highlands Collegiate in Las Vegas, Nevada, hosted by UNLV. So, um, and then they will be back at home uh, March 14th uh, in Howie in the Hills uh, for the Mission in Spring Spectacular. Okay, let's wrap this thing up. I know you kind of touched upon it, but. Uh, any last thoughts, Murph? Anything that you wanted to work on this week that you that you've got coming up? Got a lot to work on. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a it, look. It's the most uh, wonderful time a, of year. <laughs> it, it it really. It, it, I don't know if this is technically the spring equinox, but it sure is for me. Yeah, it is. It's the spring sports equinox. We we we've, we've established this. I'm exhausted. I needed like one, I need like one day off, which I haven't had in a while. But uh, that's not coming till at least Monday because Friday morning. We'll be out here watching guys stretch, and then we'll talk to uh, Coach Heupel and some players uh, Friday late morning, early afternoon. We should have Randy Shan as well out here. Uh, and Friday night, obviously, baseball. Baseball on Friday night. Elo will be out there uh, Saturday, correct, Elo? You'll be out there Saturday? Yeah, yeah, I'll be calling the game, our first game on Saturday, 2 o'clock. I will be right. out there. Uh, so there. i got to figure out how to how – to, juggle the nightcap of that doubleheader on Saturday, which should start around 536 with the basketball game. Men's basketball against Tulsa will tip around six as well. So I, I gotta say, how Merv, I mean, are you gonna have Johnny Dawkins for media availability on Friday sandwiched in on Friday? Just get all no, three. I've of already asked Stan Forsella and he said no and I said thank oh. you. So, uh, <laughs> good. And then we'll be out there Sunday for the baseball recap and then uh, Monday I, I might sleep. So it'll be fun. Sleep, By yeah. the way, Eric, I've looked it up, doubling back to something we mentioned in the first block of the show. CSUN only wants to be known as CSUN. You cannot call oh. them. What's you can't call them Northridge or CSU. What's what's the bigger it's CSUN and CSUN. Get your facts right. What's the bigger party foul? Calling UCF Central Florida or calling CSUN Cal State Northridge? I mean, I think I'm a little more biased in this issue because I have more allegiance to UCF. I mean, not only did I go here for like three times as many years because I took the Van Wilder route through undergrad, <laughs> but also because I live here and, and have worked here for a few years. Like, I think it's more of a sin. First of all, neither one is as big as, as the fan bases want you to believe. Like, UCF, calling people, calling it Central Florida is not an affront, guys. So just settle that down. 
I understand Golden Knights is really sloppy because that got changed 13 years ago. Central Florida is still part of your name. So that's fine. But I guess because I've been What? Says it on the degree. I understand. And also, but also because Central Florida, Central, see, I just did it. Oh my God, you did it. You know it. Because UCF is more of a national brand than Cal State Northridge, I think that's much more acceptable. No one. I, 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 you know, no one is going to, no one around the country is going to know what CSUN means right off the bat. UCF in the last five, ten years has developed that, so you understand what UCF means. Yeah. Uh, but CSUN is still kind of in the wilderness, really only known to most of us in Cal- most of us in Southern California. <laughs> all right, and uh, Elo, what do you got? All right, so I was, uh, first of all, on the site on blackingopenerate.com, I've got art, three articles out. I had the recap of the Auburn series. You were all over it, man, this weekend. You like yeah, right. I was good. I was going to do some of that stuff, and you like jumped in. You're like, I got this. I'm like, what a pro. You're darn right. I was what in the a zone. Pro. I was locked in. I got the baseball. I got the softball domination of Tennessee and what that meant. And then women's basketball, you guys, you and Jeremy talked about big win. What's their postseason outlooks looking better and better each day? I broke that down on blackandgobanneret.com. Uh, as Murph mentioned, uh, I will be calling softball this weekend. I'll be calling softball Friday at 6 o'clock. Follow me on this. So I'll be calling softball, UCF and LIU Brooklyn, 6 o'clock approximately on Friday. Saturday, I'll be calling the first game of the doubleheader of baseball, UCF and CSUN. o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Holloway will be starting that game as the pitching staffs were announced, by the way. Uh, Mr. Colton Gordon will go Friday night, and then uh, Patterson will go the uh, second game, doubleheader, Murph. Patterson. No R's. Patterson, Eric. Thank you. All right. Pretend you have a New Jersey accent like me. Patterson. 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 I don't have to worry about it. I'm not calling that game. I'm calling the Holloway. Okay, good to know. Who cares? Who's, that's, that's, Who's starting? It doesn't matter. I'm calling. I'm Whatever. calling multiple sports here. I got to keep a straight and narrow. So I'll be calling baseball at two. Then I'm heading over to softball to call UCF versus Longwood at six o'clock on Saturday. And then Sunday I'm going back to baseball to call the finale with the sheriff on the mound, UCF and CSUN at one o'clock. I may or may not be breaking down Brian Murphy's degrees from both schools at some point <laughs> during these games. And some breaking news, boys, that is some good news for UCF baseball. And if you believe in omens, my friend, that's right. Bill Goldberg has just won the WWE title in Saudi Arabia from the Fiend. He is the new champion. Odds are he will be defending the title in Tampa, Florida in April at WrestleMania, just like he did in 2017 in Orlando, Florida, when he defended his title. Why is that significant? Because that was the same year UCF won the American Conference Championship and made the NCAA tournament under Coach Lovelady, which they have matched the best start ever. Could we be seeing deja vu again, boys? Could we be seeing Bill Goldberg at wrestling night? No, no, no. Come on. He's the champ. Former former Sacramento Surge defensive tackle Bill Goldberg. Jeff, we have an open invitation, or at least Lovelady has sent out an open invitation. Yeah, to, to ta- that. yeah shout out to Titus O'Neill. Titus O'Neill. Spoke to the softball team prior to their games against Tennessee. Whatever he said worked, because UCF dominated. Spoke to the team. Uh, I mentioned to Titus, hey, I think Coach Lovelady 
would be more than happy to uh, have you on as well, either on wrestling night or whatever night you would like to come. And Greg Lovelady extended that offer, right, Murph? Yes, he did. He said whenever it's, whenever it's free for him, he can come on out. So maybe we might see Titus worldwide out there on uh, on wrestling night. Uh, I'm in up. on this. I'm in on this. He he brought it. <laughs> he brought in some good karma for UCF softball. They're still undefeated since he ta- since he talked to them. Hey, why not? Let's spread let's spread the magic around. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I'm very happy with Eric Lopez's commitment to this bit. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I had slept on my game today. I, I, I was not gonna bring up wrestling. Uh, and also I totally forgot that Super Showdown was happening because that show for so many reasons is so wrong. Uh, but I, I appreciate Eric. I appreciate Eric shoving that into the back end of the show. This is so Bingo, this affects baseball. I just said Goldberg was the champion at Orlando when Greg Lovelady went to his first WrestleMania, which you wrote about. We talked to him about it in depth. One of the greatest uh, award-winning articles in Black and Gold Banner at history. Uh, we may have to bring that back out during that week. I don't know. But nonetheless, I think that's a good omen if you're a UCF baseball fan. It's cliche. I, huh? I, uh, I agree with that. I don't agree with Bill Goldberg having the being a top guy in this business anymore but whatever that's a conversation for another time yeah all right well by the way i will be friday night i will be uh at um the volleyball match with uh, phil dalhauser and his uh, partner nick lucena um taking on uh, taking on team italy as uh, as phil's last run toward a uh, uh a gold medal um begins here at uh, at boxy park in uh, in Lake Nona, so I'm really excited to be uh, doing that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm a total Olympic nerd, and so I'm going to like totally nerd out. It's going to be fantastic. All right, uh, be sure to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. If you haven't yet, I mean, and I don't know what's the matter with you if you haven't, make sure you subscribe to our podcasts wherever you can get your podcast even on spotify we're up on spotify which is great <clears throat> um as well as uh, as well as apple and all other uh podcast platforms also uh fo- don't be afraid to follow the rest of us obviously derek warden uh with his photo galleries from everywhere um luke saris you want to get you want to follow jeremy brenner uh and uh and, and everybody on the uh, we have so many guys on staff now i'm starting to lose track but um but yeah, it, 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 we got to get Anthony Lennon. I'm so excited about having about what Anthony did uh, uh, last week with, and we're going to be doing some more off season stuff with him uh, as well. And then we have a Twitter list that you can follow if you go to UCF underscore Banneret. Check out our lists, and um, and yeah, that'll get that'll get you all set for um, we should, for every, we everything should, UCF. Go ahead. We should, you know, usually you know, there's not a lot of you know outside of me, Jeremy, and. You and uh, Eric, we don't you know. That's really the four of us do a lot of writing. But but uh, Anthony put up something last week about Marlon Williams having a breakout season coming up in 2020 that I thought was fascinating. It's really the kind of stuff that Anthony was born to write about, breaking down film, showing why Marlon is going to succeed in 2020, and 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 kind of maybe maybe not directly pull the shoes of Gabe Davis, but kind of help replace him and and pick up pick up the slack. Basically. Yeah. And follow. Uh, by the way, you can also follow. Uh, you can follow him. You can follow. Um, follow Stat Boy Drew as well on Twitter as well. Uh, CFB Asterisk. Uh, I mean, we've got this amazing roster of people who just have great 
uh, insight on UCF sports all over the place, and uh, and I'm glad that this is a place for all of us to come together and uh, and share what we know about UCF sports with you. So. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Enjoy another busy weekend of UCF Sports. We'll see you next week.